0: Well, good morning. Trust you all are doing well today, enjoying this brief little bit of dry summer, and prep you for the 40-degree lows tomorrow morning. If you haven't seen that, yeah, the shock look on your face is what I felt when I heard him say it. So welcome to your one day of summer. That's how we'll play this. Uh, As Danielle said, we're launching a new series today that's going to carry us all the way through the month of June, and I've titled it Guardrails. And you guys know what a guardrail's like. You know where they are. Primarily, we see them on the highway in three different places. We'll see them on uh, bridges and overpasses. They're that thing that obstructs our view, right? You want them out of the way so you can see the the ocean or the river or the lake or the chasm, the canyon you're driving over. But they're there to keep us from drifting off the side of the road and falling into that water or that canyon. We also see them in the median, like in a divided four-lane highway. And they have a very specific purpose there. It's to keep us protected from cars that would come across the median and hit us head on. And though we don't think about it that way, it's also there to protect other people from us doing the same thing to them. But maybe the most common occurrence for guardrails is in curves. And I don't know what it is about curves. I don't know if we just get distracted or we're not paying attention, but they seem to sneak up on us at times. And so the guardrails are there primarily to keep us from areas where we would experience danger or areas that are off limits. And when they work, guardrails do a great job at directing us and protecting us. And here's the thing we don't think we need those guardrails until we actually do. About four years ago, we were doing some motorcycle touring in Colorado. And we went to Colorado National Monument. It's on the far western edge. It's almost on the border with Utah. It's a beautiful park. Uh, We stopped at the Welcome Center to get acquainted with it, see what's there that we should absolutely not miss. And and rather than tell us that stuff, the park rangers immediately started emphasizing to us. They said, you're on motorcycles, right? We go, yeah. Um, Well, you need to be really, really careful in the park because there are sections of this park that has no guardrails or very few guardrails that was a helpful piece of information because this is what the road looks like right i mean that's not like an isolated curve in the park that is the park which is what makes it fun on a motorcycle but they said it's a very unforgiving road for motorcyclists not only are there not guardrails but you drop off the road you go into six to eight inches of pea gravel for about three feet which is just great at stopping a car and it's horrible for a motorcycle so they give this long list of stern warnings and admonishments and encouragements and here's what you need to do and not do. And, and, and they said, and so the reason we tell you this is because almost without fail, every week, we have a motorcyclist who runs off the road and gets seriously injured. And in some cases, they run off a cliff and they die. Well, that's, a, that's a real friendly greeting to a national park, right? Right? The kind of thing you want to hear right as you're at the Welcome Center. But it was helpful. It was a, a sobering greeting because the views were spectacular. Very few places in America I've been to that are as beautiful as that. And the dangers were palpable. Now why does all this matter? Why are we talking about like car safety, motorcycle safety on a Sunday morning? Because I believe this to be true. Some of the greatest regrets in our life could have been prevented if we had some guardrails in place. Financial guardrails. Relational guardrails. Professional guardrails. Moral guardrails. And if that's true, if just establishing some guardrails and respecting them can do that, then there's hope in that. Because what it means is if we're willing to do the work, we can establish guardrails now that will keep us from simply piling up more and more regrets in the future. So it's important as we start to talk about guardrails this morning to understand that we live in a culture that doesn't encourage good guardrails in our life. In fact, most of the people that I hear in media most of the people that i talk to are comfortable not so much with hard guardrails as they are with suggestions encouragement guidelines it's it's like in the road we would just give up the guardrails and we would just do a a painted line on the side of the road in hopes that that would protect us and it doesn't and here's the irony of all this is that the same culture that discourages guardrails openly shames and ridicules people when they crash into the ditch when they wreck their personal life when they wreck their professional career and when they wreck their most important relationships let me give you a really clear example of how this irony plays out in real life it's not political don't take it that way it's just an example that really stands out clearly in 2017 end of january um, Mike Pence became the vice president of the United States. Shortly after that, he was just being asked questions by reporters about what he was going to do and how he was going to operate, how life was going to go. And in the course of that conversation, he said, look, I've had some guardrails in my life for decades that I've followed all throughout my personal life and then as governor of Indiana, and I'm just going to carry those into being vice president. Now, they weren't new to him. You trace them back to their origin. They started with Billy Graham and how he wanted to conduct his life. But Mike Pence had lived by these, and he was going to continue to do that in the White House. And so he said, here's the guardrail specifically. I will never travel alone. I will never dine alone. I will never meet alone with a woman who is neither my wife nor a close family member like my daughters how do you think the media greeted that? The dude was vilified in the media. He uh, had reporters telling the story and saying this was the most sexist thing they had heard come out of the White House in decades. Uh, They said, you know, his actions would limit the advancement of women under his leadership in the White House. And they just went on and on and they just tore him apart. At the same time, the media was also publicly shaming individuals who had wrecked their life and their relationships because they had no guardrails. Remember what the early part of 2017 was like? That was when uh, Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and, and literally between... April, the end of April in 2017, and the end of the year, more than a 100 people, celebrities, politicians, CEOs, were accused of sexual misconduct. And if you track those blogs and those stories, we're now up well over 300 people who have wrecked their life because they didn't have guardrails. Now, I bring up all that churn in the culture for just one reason. It's for us to be aware of the fact that when we begin to erect guardrails in our life, we need to expect resistance. Our choices may not be celebrated, but I can promise you that if we make these choices now, set those guardrails, it will help prevent regrets in our life later on. This morning I want to look specifically at one passage of Scripture, it's Ephesians chapter five, verses fifteen through eighteen. Now guardrails didn't exist in Paul's day. Okay, so he's not going to use the word there, but he gives principles to help us decide what's the the correct thing to do, and he talks about very specific things. So if you go back, back up a full chapter, the middle of chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul starts listing out all kinds of specific circumstances and specific behaviors that should not and should be a part of our life as followers of Jesus. He talks about actions and attitudes. He even gets down to the kind of words that come out of our mouth. He's very detailed in what he says. But then you get to the middle of chapter 5, starting with verse 15, and all of a sudden it's like Paul takes a pause and steps back and goes, I I could go on forever. Listing out all the potential scenarios where you'd have to make a decision as to what you're going to do. And so he turns a corner here and he stops giving specific examples and he gives some general principles that can apply to our life and help us decide what to do. Here's what he says. Let's walk through it. Starts off by saying, be very careful then how you live. Some translations say how you walk. Um, The Greek word here gives the idea that that we need to make sure that our steps are ordered, are precise, that there's care put into every single step of our lives. I, I am a huge World War II fan of movies and books and history. And what it makes me think of is those scenes in some of the old movies where, you know, they're either like the troops are just moving somewhere to their next battle or they're in a battle and they're moving through a field. and All of a sudden, the commanding officer or the sergeant or one of the privates even yells and stops everybody in their tracks. They freeze because they've suddenly realized they're walking through a minefield. And so in those movies, like they they literally start... Very carefully placing their foot down gently, and then the next foot. This march turns into a one step at a time crawl through a field or a road. That's what Paul's saying here. Every step we take needs to be measured, needs to be cautious. And then he goes on to spell out what that kind of careful living looks like. He says, You're to live not as unwise people, but as wise. As you read through the Bible, you'll start to discover that. The, the issue is not always right and wrong. In fact, a better template for making our decisions in life is wisdom. Wisdom helps us understand where the guardrails need to be. And when we're guided by wisdom in our life, it keeps us from scraping the side of our car against the guardrails or even crashing through them. In many ways, wisdom is a better template For decision-making than just simply asking, is something right or wrong? Think about it. You ever struggled with a decision? Like, is this the right thing or the wrong thing to do? It's hard. If you have teenagers in your house, if you've raised teenagers, if you ever were a teenager, like I got everybody, right? You know that that's an era when you literally question the borders and the boundaries that are being set in your family structure. Why is it wrong? was a question my daughter would ask. So often we thought she'd grow up and be a lawyer, right? She wanted to argue, what is truth, right? Why do I need that boundary? Why do I need that guardrail? It's a better template for us to ask. Not is it right or wrong, but is it the wise thing to do? And asking that question can bring real clarity to a lot of situations we struggle with. Here's here's the way I like to think about the wisdom question. That's in the app. This next question is there, word for word. I encourage you to hang on to it. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? It's a really great way to look at that. Because sometimes even when a decision or a course of action in our life is perfectly fine morally, ethically, scripturally, there's nothing wrong with the decision. It's still not the wise thing to do in light of where we are and where we're headed. Paul goes on and says, be careful how you live, making the most of every opportunity. Now, I would guess for all of us here this morning that there's stuff in our lives that we're happy with proud of decisions we've made all through the years but i also think that for every one of us there's a couple of things in our life we'd love a do-over on you know there are some seasons in our life where it was just a rough time we were busy we weren't the best person we could have been we really messed some things up terribly It, it may be as simple as we just missed an opportunity To take something that's good and make it great. Maybe we missed a professional career opportunity. We'd like to do that over. We missed a relationship that could have formed. We missed an experience with family and friends. Because we were disconnected, unplugged, on the phone, whatever. I think we all know that feeling of wanting a do-over. So Paul says, as you live, be careful. So that you don't spoil any one or miss any one of those opportunities in life and what paul says next may seem a little odd until we understand it in context he says we do all this because the days we're in are evil paul was writing to a church of no more than a hundred people in ephesus and the town was about a town of about fifty thousand people. people essentially what paul is saying here with the days being evil is the culture you live in the people around you aren't following they're not ascribing to the same set of values and morals that you are in your life following jesus and when you compare this part of your world to the holiness and the purity of god yeah it looks evil we live in a culture and a time and they did too that doesn't encourage a whole lot of guardrails in any area And it doesn't mean that we're alarmist. It doesn't mean that, like, we dig a bunker in our backyard and we just live in our bunker because the days are evil. That's not what Paul's advocating. He's just saying, pay attention to the world around you. Pay attention to the people around you. Be aware. Because even when you've got good guardrails, if you're not aware, you can end up walking someplace you don't want to be. So don't be foolish. Paul says don't approach life as if these things aren't all interconnected your your spiritual life and your physical life don't live that way don't live as though your past present and future aren't connected to each other don't pretend that what's happened in your past didn't bring you to where you are today and don't pretend that what you're doing today won't change your hopes and dreams for the future for the good or bad wisdom says it's all connected don't be foolish But understand what the Lord's will is. Now understand, here's a really strong word. It's it's not a suggestion. It's an imperative verb. It's a command. Paul says, you have to understand. And it's in contrast to being foolish. You have to understand. Face up to reality. We all do. We have to face the reality in our life that we have strengths and we have weaknesses. We know Ourselves more than we'd like to admit. We know what's not, not wise for us. We know our past. We know our weaknesses. We know this morning in this room. We know we're in our lives. We're dancing with danger. Where we're living on the edge. So I think Paul's saying here. Understand yourself. Be honest with yourself. Understand where you are, and understand what the will of God is, and deal with the gap. I find most often in life it's not the knowledge, the lack of knowledge, that gets us in trouble, it's the lack of wisdom in applying that knowledge to our decisions. So, understand, Paul says, the difference between foolishness and wisdom, and to help us with that, he gives a real simple, relatable illustration. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to. I love that phrase. It leads to. Now, I want to be crystal clear before I talk in this next part here. I want to be crystal clear on something. I wasn't taught this growing up. I wasn't taught this in college where I went. In fact, I was taught the exact opposite. But here's the truth that I've discovered over the years. The Bible does not teach anywhere in its pages that abstinence from alcohol is a command from God that should be applied to everyone. The consumption of alcohol is assumed in Scripture to just be one of those normal things in life. Something where the right decision is made, not based on right or wrong, but on wisdom. So watch how the question works here. In light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your hopes and dreams, what is the wise decision for you when it comes to alcohol? I know my family's history with alcoholism. And I am grateful that their story is not my story. But I'm not foolish. I know that their story informs my story. So I have really tough guardrails in my life around alcohol. If I'm out with friends for dinner, if I'm grabbing a beer after work with some of the guys, I have guardrails. I will have one drink. Now, I know the question some of you are asking in your head right now, it is not a giant drink because I can only have one, right? One bottle of wine is not a drink. One drink. That's my guardrail. Now, if I'm at home and we're hanging out with some friends, I may have a second drink in the course of the evening. But rarely, rarely do I make an exception to those two guardrails. Those are hard guardrails for me, solid guardrails. I won't blow through them. I'm not saying you have to live with those. I'm just saying that's the wise decision for me based on my past, my present, my hopes, and dreams. Because I know if I crash through the guardrail, I know what it leads to. I behave really badly. I say dumb stuff. Now, in my head, when I get to that third drink, in my head, I'm brilliant. What's coming? I, I'm not alone in this. Thank you all. I appreciate that. Some of you right now are going, maybe he's had three drinks because he's not making a whole lot of sense this morning. I haven't. I say dumb stuff that hurts people I love. That one drink, that's my guardrail. Because my tone gets harsh. My humor pushes beyond the boundaries of what I want in my life as I follow Jesus. And so I've set that guardrail for me. Here's the thing. Good guardrails will keep us away from that one thing that leads to another. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery is an old school word, right? I doubt if anybody in the room used that word in a sentence this week. So I want you to try this week, though, right? I mean, when you say that word, people go, what is that? You go, eh, it's just something out of my wisdom, right? Paul says debauchery, and it's, it's in its simplest sense, debauchery refers to any kind of overindulgence that comes from a lack of self-control. So the principle that Paul's teaching here is much broader than alcohol. Alcohol is just a really relatable experience. We've all seen it. We've seen it on movies. We've seen it personally. We've done it personally. We can relate to this. But what he's trying to teach is a broader principle for making application of Scripture to life. So let me rephrase it. Let me just put it in the principle form. And I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to write this down. You don't have to turn to the person next to you and say it. But fill in the blank for yourself. I know that too much of this leads me to that. What's the this for you? For some of us in the room, men and women alike, too much time surfing the web leads me to Sites I shouldn't be on. Too much conversation, too many meetings, lingering too long at the desk of or with the water cooler with a coworker. Leads me to inappropriate, lustful thoughts. Too much time with this group of friends. Leads me to being hyper negative about my job. My wife, my kids, about life in general. Paul is trying to help us understand in this passage that the internet is not the problem. That group of friends is not the problem. Drunk is not the problem. His point here is to figure out the one thing that leads to the problem. And in his example, drunk is what leads us to some really bad behavior. And we need to know that one thing because that helps us figure out if the one thing is here, then our guardrail needs to be in the safe zone before we ever get to that one thing. We need to have that guardrail set up before anything or anyone that we love is at risk. Paul finishes with this idea. He says, Don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I think at the heart of this phrase for Paul is the simple question Who or what controls your life? He's saying, Don't give your control to anything or anyone other than God. Don't give it to alcohol. Don't become a workaholic. You're surrendering control of your life. Don't give it to the pursuit of wealth or fame. Don't give control of your life to a hobby. Don't give it to an affair or any other pleasure in this life. Instead, Paul says, surrender control of your life to the God who loves you. Surrender to the nudgings and the promptings and the whispers of the Holy Spirit. And he, we say Holy Spirit in church, and if you're new to faith or new in your or young in your faith, it, that can be like kind of a weird thing. You know, think about well, what is this Holy Spirit, and how does He work? So, a couple of examples. You ever got one of those emails from somebody, a coworker, family member, friend, uh, an ex, one of those emails that just lights a fire inside of you, right? And all of a sudden, you're writing a novel instead of an email in reply, right? So you're with me. I hear you. And so you're writing this and the juices are flowing and your logic is flawless and your words cut like a knife. You are speaking truth to this situation. You got it nailed. This is perfect. And you go to hit send and there's something inside of you that just goes, hmm, maybe. Maybe I should wait before I hit send. Maybe I should hold off Think about this. That sense you get, that little inner voice that we call our conscience, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in that moment as a Christ follower, just asking you, is it the wise thing to do? Yeah, you're right, but is it the wise thing to send that email? You're sitting in a conversation, work, home, don't care where you're sitting in a conversation with a handful of people and the conversation going great. And something is said that just trips something inside of you. And you want to respond. You want to contribute to the conversation. You want to tell a story, a joke. You want to maybe even grab the conversation and go off on a tangent. And before you say anything, you're just breathing in the air that will give voice to your words. And there's this pause in your brain. Hmm. Do I really need to say that? Is that appropriate for this group? Is that the kind of thing that I want to be true about me? Is what I'm about to say. That little whisper, that little voice inside your head is the Holy Spirit reminding us when that happens that we're getting really close to a guardrail that we have or we need to have in our lives. We're getting close to danger. Here's what Paul says about this whole guardrail thing. He says, Look, be very careful how you live, be careful where you step. Don't live as unwise people, but live as wise people, making the most of every opportunity that comes your way in life. Why? Because the days are evil. The culture is not always working for you, it's often working against you. So don't be foolish. Don't live as if all of life, past, present, future, is is disconnected. But understand what the Lord's will is for you. My hope and prayer for you is that over the course of this series, especially the next three weeks, maybe even this week, just in those quiet moments in your life, that you'll be open for the Spirit of God to whisper to you, to nudge you, to move in you and help you identify where you need guardrails. And I can hear the protest going on in your head right now. I can hear you arguing because I do it too. I don't plan to wreck my life, right? I don't plan to wreck my marriage. I'm not planning to wreck my career. I don't need guardrails. And I believe you. I don't know anybody who sets out intentionally to wreck their life. Any more than any of you would leave church today and intentionally wreck your car. It just doesn't happen. But the real question is not, how are you planning to wreck your life? The question is, how are you planning not to? Please hear me again. It's really important to remember, none of us needs a guardrail in our life Until we do. And at the point we realize that it may be too late. I promise you. That if you'll let down your defenses. If you'll just engage over the next three weeks in this series. If you'll ask yourself the tough questions and do the hard work. I promise you that inside those guardrails. You will find more joy and freedom than you ever imagined possible you will discover that there has been a god all along protecting and directing your life and i truly believe that along the way you're going to discover that the guardrails you've been fighting against are the very thing that are going to guide you into the arms of a god who loves you more than you've ever known